This morning, it was um, very um, interesting to me uh, that when, when I asked Pastor Cruz to uh, do the Sunday school, he, was, he, he began to, he said the idea that he had already in his mind was understanding the harvest, and the sermon that I was putting together had to do with, with, um, with, with the harvest, with souls and witnessing, so I was like, man, God's trying to say something to us, so I want you to open your, your mind, I want you to open your heart, your, your ears to this, understand what we're trying to portray this morning. I want you to open your Bibles to the first Corinthians chapter three, verses six through nine. That's first Corinthians chapter three, verses six through nine is what we're going to be at. Um, in, in putting the sermon together, I was researching, uh, the, some statistics concerning evangelism, witnessing, um, even just, um, church membership when it comes down to um, two uh, churches or churchianity in America. And I ran into this. It says, from time to time, we hear statistics about how people first came into church memberships. I want you to hear me. Church membership has to do with somebody choosing, this is my church. How many of you guys are members of this church? This is my church, right? Raise your hand if you're a member of this church. This is my church, right? That's what church membership is. These figures trace back to the Institute for American Church Growth, which asked 10,000 people about their church membership and what led them into this membership. And the answers go like this. Number one, it says, well, not number one, but special needs uh, was 2%. So 2% of those 10,000 people said special needs is what brought them to church. 3% said they just walked in. 6% said the pastor brought them in somehow, personality or some type of sermon that they heard or, or something around those lines. 1% was visitation. This is the follow-up uh, ministry. 5% was Sunday school. Same thing with the, with the thought of, um, of a pastor, a sermon, or a study. F another 5% said it was an evangelistic crusade, a healing crusade, some type of outdoor concert or some type of, you know, some type of preaching. 3% said a program, children's church, um, maybe some type of a men's program, some type of women's program. But 79% said a friend or a relative brought them. Think about that. Everything that I mentioned, 2%, 3%, 6%, 79% of church membership has to do with a church or somebody that's already a member of the church invited somebody they knew. And when I read that, I said, my goodness, if only the church will witness. If only the church will witness individually. Not wait till Saturday. Not wait till a concert outreach. Not wait to, to some type of event that we're, we're going to have. But if only the church will open their mouth at their job site open their mouth at their uh, family gatherings, would only just decide, I'm going to be a witness of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9 says, "If It says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Verse 8 now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. 
Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, and you are God's building. I want to preach a sermon that I've entitled, Watering and Working. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Jesus, for this moment that you've given us. God, to be here together, to be called your church, God. God, I pray a special anointing upon my words this morning. God, bless your servant, God, with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray a conviction upon every single one of us, every heart here today, God. God places a burden upon us, God, for people. God, increase our compassion for souls, God. Father, that we will open our mouth and be a witness, God, wherever we spend our time throughout the days. God, we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. The people of God said this morning, amen. I want to start off with my first thought, and that is fellow workers. We have a purpose when we get saved. Most people don't understand the distinction of the purposes that we have. In our text, it speaks about one that watered and one that, uh, that planted. We read it, it says, I planted, but Apollos watered. See, this is purpose. Two different things, but have the same purpose. And many times we get it twisted. We think that one is above the other. We think many times the, the more charismatic, the more the person who can witness the most or can have the best illustrations or can quote scripture verbatim, that's, that's the guy that's going to win souls. But the truth of the matter is that both serve a purpose in the work of, the, of evangelism. When we think that one is above the other, it creates a special vulnerability. And by special, I don't mean something good. But it creates a very unique vulnerability. It births carnality. Our text speaks about a carnal mindset. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. This is a picture of a church speaking about the moment they got saved. Well, I got saved under this pasture. And I got saved under this pastor. I'm Pastor Campbell's disciple. I'm Pastor Mitchell's disciple. And you know what? The, I'm from the golden age. I'm from the, the time where disciples were like this. And it's this very carnal mindset. The word carnal, by definition, is fleshy or having the nature of flesh. One of the examples is an animal's appetite. This is, in other words, Paul is saying this is ungodly talk. The first time we see this word used is in Romans chapter 7. This is Romans 7, 14 says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And this, I am from Apollos, or I am from Paul, this was a carnal mindset. Paul is writing to them to correct this mindset. That somewhere it comes from our old sinful nature. He's writing to them to correct it, to stop thinking like new babes, like people that just got saved. See, the real purpose isn't what you do or what your position is or how many people you've prayed with or how, how, how you're more spiritual because of who your pastor is. Our real purpose is working together in God's field to build God's kingdom. That's what Paul is saying. If you read our text one more time, verse 6, I planted Apollo's water, but God gave the increase. It goes on to verse 7, says, so then neither he who plants is anything. You thought you were something. Or, you ever thought you would read your Bible and it'll say you're nothing? 
So then neither who plants is anything, nor he who waters is, but God who gives the increase. So now we know a purpose. And that purpose is to serve together. To aim at an increase that God is the one that gives. So we must work backwards from the ultimate purpose. Hear me out this morning. When we get the right perspective of what the end goal is, we need to align our lives with the end goal in mind. Many of you guys, you've gone bowling before. Bowling is fun, right? It's fun when you actually hit the pins, right? When you, when you, when you go on the sides, you don't, you, don't, you don't shout for joy, right? As a matter of fact, you might be even embarrassed, right? So the reason why you're able to holler and be excited is because you hit some pins, right? It's the same thing in, in, in sports. If you ever played basketball and you shoot, you get excited when you make it, but when you airball or when you hit the back of the rim and somebody says, brick, then you don't get excited. It's the same thing in our minds and in purpose and evangelism. We have an end goal, and that is increase. We evangelize to increase, to grow, and that increase comes from God. And whenever we see the increase, we shout for joy. But see, when you don't know what your purpose is, it invites carnality into your life. We live in a time when carnality is through the roof. Think with me for a second. Americans are more divided than ever. They're gridlocked over social issues, race, gender, and the economy. I mean, even right now, there's probably some words you can think in your minds like, I can't even, I can't, I can't even say that. Or topics that you're like, I don't even want to touch that. It's no longer just Republican versus Democrat or liberal versus conservative. It's the 1% versus the 99%. It's rural versus urban. It's white men against the world. And, and you can go on to all these different things, these, these, uh, these things that divide America, media itself. I was listening to a documentary, and it was a man who lived outside of America. He's an American, but he lived abroad. And he said, when I came back, one of the things I realized is that media, the news, is dividing America, and that's their agenda. We get so caught up with things that aren't spiritual issues, things that really don't matter. This is true not only on the outside, it's true on the inside. In Christianity, we get caught up with things that they don't even matter. It's all carnality. Think about this church. Here it is, Paul. Apostle Paul comes. He plants this church, pioneers it. Then it goes on and he leaves Apollos as pastor. And, and somewhere this church has grown to a place where they're like, well, why well, I got saved in the Paul? So I've been here longer. And, and, this, is a, and this is how we do things. And, and this is a Paul. But I'm Apollos. And it goes on. And Paul says, this is carnal. It bleeds into the church. There's a book that got very popular over the years. You might have read it before. It's A Purpose Driven Life. Uh, this book was very popular, and the reason why, well, they say that it's the, it's the best-selling nonfiction hardback 
ever has sold about 32 million copies. And I believe the reason why is because we live in a generation that has no real purpose. We just do whatever we want. Whatever feels good. Whatever, whatever rules our emotions. Right? This is why we're overweight. Run. How many of you guys know that's an issue? That's a, that, that's a big issue. We should be doing something about that. Listen, this, is, this isn't in my notes, but, but we should be doing something about our health. Listen, if you die because of your health and stand in front of God in the middle of your purpose, you're going to be held accountable for that. Amen? We live in a generation with no real purpose. And this is what Paul is addressing. A refocus on real purpose. A refocus on what actually changes people. It's a change in the climate of the church. I want to move on to the sec- my second thought, and that's the climate for growth. So, our Bible says God brings the increase. So what that means is that God owns the increase. He's the ones that make things grow. We understand this by, you know, if, if, unless you're a narcissistic person, you understand that people who get saved is because you led them to Christ. Amen? Come on, more than two people. You listen, you don't save, we don't save people. God saves them, right? 1 Corinthians 3, 7 says, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God. Say with me, only God. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, only God. It's only God who makes things grow. He's the one that brings the increase. This is actually an agricultural term. The thought is that of plants growing. It's the same thing. You did everything you did for that plant. You watered it. Maybe you guys remember in, in, in elementary, you made a bean grow. You put it in a Ziploc bag. You put it in a you wet napkin. You put it in there. Then you put it out on the sun. It feels like it's yours. Amen? Can I get some, some honest people? It feels like you made that thing grow. But in all reality, it was God that brought life to it. Oh, you created the climate for it. But it was God, the one that brought the life there. First mention of this is Matthew chapter 6, verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. He says they grow without you. See, Jesus is talking to his disciples and telling them to not lose focus. Stop worrying about the things of this world. Why do you worry about clothing? Why do you worry about Gucci? Why do you worry about coach and and all these things? Consider the lilies of the field and how beautiful they are and how they grow. Stop worrying about the carnal things. Keep your focus on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, if we will do our part, God will bring the increase. In order for things to grow, farmers are dependent on the climate. See, plant growth and geographic distribution are greatly affected by the environment. There's things that grow here in Houston that don't grow anywhere else. And vice versa, right? In Washington, my wife and I, we lived in Washington for three years. There was evergreen trees, beautiful trees. There were trees year-round. The snow fell on them, and they were still alive. 
if you plant an evergreen tree here, that thing will die in, in a week because it's so hot. <laughs> but you don't see mango trees in Washington. <laughs> you might see apple trees because that's something else. You see the point that I'm making? The climate matters. We lived in Honduras for a few years. That's the Banana Republic. Right? There's a, t- a ton of bananas there. When you drive, when you make that drive all the way to Guatemala, uh, there's, there's, you'll pass by just acres and acres and acres of bananas. Because it's right. That climate is perfect for that tree. In areas, climate affects the types of plants that it can grow there. Maurice bought me a bonsai tree. And I'm struggling. <laughs> I'm looking at that thing and I'm like, oh man, it's, I can feel it looking back at me. <laughs> I, was like, I, was like, I, don't, I don't know if I should give you water. I don't, sometimes I want to give it coke. I'm just just to try, to, try, to, try to spark something there. But plant growth, listen, it's dependent on the climate. Does it rain, the temperature, the dew level, and all these different things. And, and a, a farmer, this is why, did you know you can get a degree in agriculture? Because there's so much to it. There's just, there's just all of these little details. And as Christians, listen, our job is to create an environment for sinners to be able to come in. They hear the gospel and they will grow. Not to come in and see unwholesome talk that's in the world. And unwholesome doesn't always mean cussing. But it does mean cussing also. In our text... What they saw was a very carnal debate about when they got saved. So Paul was dealing with them about correcting that. Arguing about who's better, the disciples will argue who's the better disciple. What position people have. Can I tell you, listen, ministry has to do with serving. Say with me, serving. Doesn't mean, it doesn't have to do with what position you have. Doesn't matter what type of place you have or any type of leadership or do you get behind the pulpit it has to do with serving can we get back to a servant's heart where we don't have to be harassed to be on time for things where there, nobody has to push us or twist our arms to 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 be able to meet the needs in the church but not careful we can argue and be focused on all kinds of carnal things. And the problem is that it doesn't only affect you, it affects the church as a body. You know, at the end of the day, what's going to keep this church going is people who want to serve. It's people who will lay down their life in sacrifice. There's so many areas in the church, isn't there? It's, 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 it, the church goes beyond just the man who's presented the gospel. Before this, somebody needed to show up to turn on the AC. Amen? Somebody needed to clean up the benches. We have a cleanup crew, which is amazing. They, they show up once, twice, maybe even three times a week at times to make sure this place is clean so that you can come and critique us. <laughs> so that you can come and be like, who, for, who forgot this water bottle? Ushers? <laughs> be so demanding at times can't we it's like if you tip them or something see when you tip somebody you can you can kind of be a little i don't like this food 
Right? I, had a, I had a friend who would put a $20 bill and it says, we're starting from here. <laughs> Very demeaning, guy. But, but listen, it's like we're, we're all servants here. Amen. We do this for God and God only. Our cleanup crew, our nursery workers, our ushers. Listen, our ushers, they, they, they make sure this, this thing is under control. Our security team, you might see them walking around and you might be thinking they're on Facebook or, or they're twiddling their thumbs and stuff like that. But if something goes down, I promise you, the hope is that they'll rise up. Amen? <laughs> we, we, all, we, all, we all wonder about those moments. And <laughs> you might put your gun. <laughs> but the thought is that we're there. Our heart is there. This is true in every area of our life. This is true in every area of ministry. That if the heart's not there, it's going to be hard to serve. You know what's one of the most annoying things? Is when somebody signs up to serve and then they don't serve. It's like when you hire somebody. You hire somebody and then they don't do their job. It's like, and I'm supposed to sign a paycheck to you? Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm done. All right. <laughs> Our scripture <laughs> speaks about a reward. If you look at our text, in verse uh, 8, now it says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. What an incredible text. According to his own labor. Our text teaches us that there's a planter and there's a waterer, but they're one. 1 Corinthians 3, 8, read it again. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. It is a simple thought. It is the thought of helping one another that makes us effective in the kingdom of God. All right, so it's NBA playoffs, so I'm going to use basketball illustrations a lot. <laughs> so in basketball, there is a term called alley-oop. And that's when a person is running and you'll pass the ball in the air and the other person will jump up, catch it, and dunk it. It's probably, if you've ever been to a basketball game, it's one of the most exciting times in a basketball game. It just looks real cool. A person's flying through the air. He's going to do his windmill. He's going to do his double pump. Or, or he's going to miss the alley or whatever. <laughs> but he's going to do something with that. When somebody makes an alley-oop, it still counts for two points. Doesn't matter how exciting it was. Doesn't matter if he did three front flips like a Power Ranger. Gets up there and he gets stuck there and then does it. It's still two points. But what's so exciting about it is the chemistry of the guys. It's the fact that somebody was dribbling the ball and saw his, play, his teammate and they made eye contact. Or sometimes they don't even make eye contact. They just know, I know my guy. And he's going to jump up and I can throw it to where I know how high up he can jump. So that he can catch it and do it. It's probably one of the least e egotistical moments is I have the ball. I will release it so that you can score for the team. Amen. The team benefits. Amen. But so do they. They receive a reward. The word reward in our text comes from a Greek word, which is mystos, which means a wage and a recompense. It's literally pay according to your work. There's even a translation that speaks about a reimbursement. That somewhere God sees how much you serve. God sees the heart behind this. 
David Jeremiah said, serving God involves narrowing our focus to those things which is the highest eternal value. Can I tell you here this morning, your service to the house of God does not go out, does not go unnoticed. I might not always see you. My wife might not always see you. You might not get praise all the time, but God sees you. And the Bible says there's a reward for that. When you can focus on God's kingdom and not our own. I ran into this article and I thought it was pretty interesting. If you'll kind of hear me when I read this. He says, the rewards we gain in heaven are not like the rewards we earn here on earth. We tend to think in material terms like mansions. Some of us, that's immediately where you went to. Actually, when I was putting this sermon, we immediately spoke about mansions. Mansions and jewels, even jewels on the crown. We talked, we've spoken about things like that. But these things are only representations of the true reward we will gain in heaven. My son, we, when we were in Washington, we put him at, um, in a YMCA soccer team. And he lost the tournament. But he still got a trophy. <laughs> America, it's where we live. <laughs> Got a trophy for, trophy for participation. But it's incredible whenever, if you ever play team sports, you get, a, you get a trophy. And this trophy represents something to you. And everybody sees the trophy being raised up or, or taking pictures, especially like in a, in a kid level or some type of amateur sport. It's given to you. The pictures look cool, but if you were to hold it, it's plastic. It has a gold, shiny paint towards it, but it's, it's plastic. As a matter of fact, the trophy that my son got broke. <laughs> it was a soccer guy. He doesn't have a head right now. <laughs> but it's plastic. It has no monetary value. But when he sees it, he remembers something about that day. You know, they say that the rewards we'll receive in heaven, it'll carry the weight and meaning of our relationship with God, and it'll remind us of what he did through us on earth. It's like almost a trophy when you get up there. There is no precious metal that's worth eternity with God. So it's like if somebody gives you a diamond up there, it's like, what's this? The streets are made of gold. What is this is diamond, right? So, so it's not so much of that, but it's more of like, man, I remember. I remember what God used me. Will you have rewards in heaven? What's, going, what's God going to say about you in heaven? I mean, if we're talking about serving in ministry and even witnessing to people, what's God going to say about you? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. What you do with your body matters. I preached on this, right? I, I touched on the, on the idea of Gnosticism, how it separates, radically separates physical body and, and our spirit. That's not true in the kingdom of God. What you do with your body, the Bible says to present your members to righteousness. Don't use them from unrighteousness anymore. What you do with your body, what you do with your time, what you do with your money, what you do with your words, all this matters because one day you're going to stand in front of God. Your attitude towards the harvest, your attitude towards the vision, towards the church, that matters. 
You, you listen. You 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 think that you're hiding it from the right people in the church, but God's listening. God's God's watching all the decisions, all the conversations, all the spiritual things that happen in our mind and in our hearts. And if we'll be honest with ourselves this morning, if we can remove the halos and act like human beings on a Sunday morning, we can understand, God, I need help to serve you. I need the heart to serve you. It's the same. It's echoing the same spirit of the, of the, of the, of the, of the man that needs a need from Jesus in the gospel. And he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. He's like, listen, I, I know what you're saying, but I'm doubting. I, I know what you're saying, but I'm flawed. I know that I got to serve. I know that I got to love people. I know that I need a witness. I know that I need to get involved, but I just don't have that right now. I need your help. Think about this church receiving this letter. I'm sure they felt like they were put on the spot. They're there, they're arguing, they're, they're making their arguments, and I wonder all the reasoning that they used. But then they received this letter, Apollos, or whoever the pastor was at that point, gets up and he reads the letter from Apostle Paul, the founder of this church. And he's telling them, listen, it doesn't matter who you got saved under. We're all one under God. What an incredible revelation. I want to close with my third points. That is, all is of God and all belongs to God. Our text speaks about workers, the field, and building. It's three times that we see the word God's with an apostrophe S, which means it belongs to him. It puts a strong emphasis on a divine action. First time we see it is God's fellow workers. Can I tell you, listen, in what we do here in on earth, we're partnering together with God. A soldier with his, with his sergeant. We partner with God. Mark chapter 16, verse 20. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. I preached um, a few conferences ago. I preached on, the, on this very text that this, this, this right here, the Lord working with them and confirming the word gave them the confidence that they can go and proclaim the gospel and God was going to back them up. The thought of, of this is Peter, Peter going to the, to the man in front of the gates and here it is, this, 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 this beggar asking for money and you know the story in the book of Acts, Peter says, money, uh, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I'll give it to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk and he, he gets up and it's an incredible moment where Peter at, on the spot could say no to a demand or a need from this person and flip it and preach the gospel and say, I don't have what you're asking me, but I'll give you what I have and claim in the name of Jesus. And God says, you said it, I'm going to back this up. This is incredible dynamic that a man and a woman of God can go and step in, in, in these moments and, 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 and by faith proclaim by faith, serve, and by faith, step into something incredible. And God says, I see your heart. I'm going to back you up. See, when we do it God's way, he works with us and he works through us. Famous quote says, without God, we cannot, but without us, he will not. We're God's fellow workers. 
The other time we see it in our text is God's field. The word field here has the imagery of a farm or a cultivated field, the process of cultivation. The idea of working God's land, preparing it to yield a crop. We spoke about the harvest in Sunday school. Can I, can I remind you, listen, the harvest belongs to God. Amen. This is God's harvest. This, this is the idea of going out and proclaiming the gospel, of evangelizing, of sharing our testimony, of preaching. And the question that we have this morning for every single one of us here today is what are we doing to prepare God's field for a harvest? When was the last time you were focused on the harvest? The next phrase we see is God's building. The word building here is not of an actual building or structure. That's not what it's talking about. It means to build up. It's edifying. It's edification. It is the act of one who promotes another growth in Christian wisdom, happiness, holiness. This is the watering. Following up on people, teaching people, working with people, loving people, praying for people. This is the picture here is that somebody witnessed, maybe at their job site or somebody witnessed to a family member and, and they brought their brother, their sister, some type of sibling. They were able to bring them and as they're walking in and you see this new believer, for you, it's an alley-oop. For you as somebody, okay, he witnessed, now let me water. He brought him in. He did the work. Now let me assist with the very thing that we're trying to do, and that is save some people. Listen, it's not a competition here this morning. There's going to be people who are going to be better at planting. There's going to be people who are going to be better at watering. It doesn't matter. We're one. Listen, what are we doing to help those that come through the doors? When's the last time you completed the cycle? Somebody planted and you watered. Evangelism builds God's church. But we have to do it God's way. So the question to be asked is what is God's way? Well, number one, it says, be my witness. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and Houston. You can add that there. And to the ends of the earth. It is this boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit and its power. See, if we're not careful, we can just become loud religious people. Oh, we're bold with our volume. We're bold with our words. But in reality, we have no power. If, not, if we're not careful, we can be bold with our knowledge. Know what to answer, yet lack anointing. See, the context of this text in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is the disciples speaking about future times concerning them. Verse 7 says, He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He's telling them, listen, you guys are focused on, on things that belongs to the Father. It belongs to God. Don't worry about this. Worry about being 
powerful with the Holy Ghost to become a witness. Nothing wrong with study and learning and learning, but Jesus saw something in their heart that needed to be corrected. If we're not careful, we can get so caught up, so caught up in things. The more you know and, and all these things, the more, you know, these, 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 uh, these, these knowledge, these um, new tricks, if you will, in Christianity, we think that somewhere it is our knowledge that creates a convert. But can I remind you that conversion is a miracle? A miracle that's triggered by anointed men and women. See, anointing comes to us by being fully submitted to God's will. In other words, you must be saved. You want anointing? Then we must live right. Tony Evans says it like this. He says, when you drop a letter in the mailbox, it is then delivered to the post office. The mail is then sorted by postal workers who group the mail by zip code so that your letter can reach its proper destination in the same way Christians have the job of making sure that others reach their divine destination. It is hard to help somebody else reach the divine destination if you're lost too. Number two, we've got to preach Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 22 to 23, says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. You ever had people like that? Explain to me. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we, say we, but we preach Christ crucified. And that is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. We're not called to persuade, but to proclaim. The problem you see in many people is because of the lack of power. They, the lack of power in their proclaiming, they seem to fall short. So somewhere they, they, they go to persuading. They attempt to supplement it with persuasion. Listen, if we don't do this right, proclaiming God's truth, it's not going to be. It's somewhere you're going to need the anointing of God. If we do it right, proclaiming God's truth is persuasive enough for the unbeliever. You know, the press secretary, he's been... It's a position that's been on the front lines more now that we have social media and, and we've had some crazy presidents lately. <laughs> so you hear these press secretaries, and it's it, honestly, it's, 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 it's a fascination, <laughs> you know, to watch them try to, uh, try to clean up the mess that these guys create with their words. So the press secretary of, of the White House has one job, and that is to speak on behalf of the presidents. If you hear here recently, the press secretary's um, they'll, they'll go on and they're like, oh, but, the, but, and they're stuttering, right? But, but that, that's not what the president meant. And then they'll try to clean it up. What the press secretary thinks is irrelevant. Whether he agrees with the president is irrelevant. His job is to speak on behalf of the president, period. There's nothing else. See, if God brings the increase, our job is just to work and work hard. We're not called to innovate the gospel. We're called to contextualize it. Make it real for people. With your testimony, make it real with just your, your, your relatability, your vulnerability. In Christian evangelism, 
to contextualize is to tailor the presentation of the gospel. Jesus was a master of this. He used agricultural terms to a people, a people whom their main economy was agriculture. That was genius. That he would relate it to them. Our job is just to make sure the good news of Jesus Christ gets as far as possible and as clear as possible. So if you're not careful, you'll make that harder for people. If we're not focusing on working in evangelism, then we've become ineffective as servants of Christ. I don't want to stand in front of God and not love people. Listen, the heart of God was for his creation. It's almost like if somebody stood in front of you and didn't love his, didn't love your children. I don't want to stand in front of God and not and live a life where I didn't serve, where I didn't pursue his heart. I'll close with these three questions. When was the last time your life was not about you and your opinions, but about Christ and his will? When was the last time your life was not about you and your opinions, but about Christ and his will? When was the last time you lived a life sacrificial to God's heart? To the love for people, the love for souls. When outreach mattered. When you would fight for those Saturdays because your church was outreaching and you wanted to support that, you wanted to be there. You know, Paul makes an incredible point when he, speak, when he speaks about this passion. He says, for married people, it's hard. He says, because now you got the cares of the world. Now you got to tend to your husband. Now you got to tend to your wife. And he goes on to, to speak about how he wishes everybody had the gift of, of being single. <laughs> Because you're so focused in that. You know what the revelation is there? Is that when it comes to God, you're God's only. I know you're married and you gotta, you got to balance it out. I, I get that. But listen, you belong to God and God alone. And something needs to be said. If the cares of this world, including your marriage, is stopping you from flourishing in the kingdom of God. When was the last time you lived a life sacrificial to God's heart for people? And the last question is, when was the last time you were sold out for Christ's heart? When was the last time you were just sold out? You wanted everything that had to do with Jesus. Listen, if we do this right, we're going to spend eternity with God. Can I tell you, in eternity, you're not going to be able to run late to things. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to have excuses to like, oh, I'm just, I can't be at outreach or I can't be here and I can't be there because I got, I, listen, it's eternity. God's not going to look at you and be like, oh, it's fine, just, you know, just, just skip out on this. If you really have a heart for God, you're going to show it here. In his church, in his mission. Can I remind you, we have a mission this morning. And that is to fill this place up. We got to fill this place up.
And it's, listen, it's not even about metrics or anything like that. Our, our ultimate goal is to fill heaven. That we, everybody we bring here, we take them to heaven. That there'll be a section in heaven where it's like, man, those people, they, they, they're from Houston. You know, they got saved there. Yeah, I remember all the alley-oops over there. I remember the, 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 the planting and the watering. I remember how they came together. This is the book of Revelation, the seven churches right in Philadelphia. I remember that you guys were together. Did God say that about us? That we have one common goal here today. And that is to save the souls of our community right here. That's where we start. To be a witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. To be witnesses of Houston, of Texas, and to the ends of the world. Can we commit to that this morning? We ain't got to be perfect, but can we commit to God's heart? God, you love people, so I'm going to love people. If my brother, my sister brings a person, I'm going to water. I'm going to finish a cycle. I'm going to, I'm going to get involved. Can I get every head bowed and every eye closed? Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. A challenging sermon, that, is, that was my intention. It's to bring a challenge to us as a church. We love every single one of y'all this morning. My wife and I, we love y'all. God loves y'all. We have a mission. And I get it. There's times for fellowshipping. There's times for building each other up. There's times for service. There's times for devotionals. You read your Bible. You pray. You, we have these moments. I get it. But our sole focus needs to be on bringing somebody else to the kingdom of God. There's an incredible saying I love that I love and that is we're all beggars and each every single one of us all we are is a beggar who found the bread telling other people where the bread is at so we're all beggars here we all came to Christ on the way to hell needing deliverance we came with our issues most of us here we hit rock bottom and we we just we needed something we weren't going to make it another day. Some of us, we came and, listen, you can agree with this. Some of us, we, we probably will be dead if it wasn't for Jesus. Listen, we found the bread. We found Jesus and what kind of selfish people would we be if we didn't tell somebody else? You're here this morning. You're not saved. You're not right. Well, God, if you're to die at this moment, heaven will not be your home. That's you. Would you raise your hand? Can I pray for you? You're not saved. You're not right with God. Maybe you're a backslidden or a person who used to be right with God. This altar call is going to be special. I want you to just hear me out. Backslider, you're not right with God. Maybe you have sin. You need to repent. That's you. Raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Backslider, come home. Listen, God loves you. God loves you. He hasn't let you go. He hasn't forgotten about you. He's watching your steps and it hurts him. The further, the, the further away you get, he wants you back. Quickly, that's you. You're backsliding. You want to come back? Raise your hand. And before we switch the order to the church, 
Maybe you're here this morning and you need to repent because you have ignored or neglected the heart of your father. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. He did this. He sent his son. That was the price he paid. You don't think God loves people? He sent his only son to die on that cross so that people can get saved, so that everybody will have access to him. And somewhere you've allowed the cares of the world to choke, to choke out your desire for the things of God. And I don't know what that looks like. It could be sin. We spoke about at home. It could be issues at home. It could be just laziness. I don't know. But somewhere here today, you're saying, you know what, I, I need to repent. It's not right. It's not right that I've ignored God. Maybe it's a division the way that our text says, I'm from here and I'm from there. And they divided and somewhere they're not helping each other out. And somewhere you're saying, God, I need to repent from that. It's not right. It's causing people to not get saved. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed in respect to one another, that's you, would you raise your hand? God's dealing with you. I see those hands. I see those hands on his hearts. On his hearts. Very good. Anybody else? God's dealing with you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want you to, those that raise their hands, I want you to stand up. Did you mean that? Did you look at me? Did you mean that? Did you mean that? I believe you did. Why don't you stand up? Come forward. Let's keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm going to pray with you guys. Churches remain in respect to God and respect to our neighbors. Why don't you come here to get up? Amen. I want you guys to pray with me here this morning. I want you to say, Father God, forgive me for this sin. I recognize that I've neglected your heart. Today I make a decision to repent and to move forward because I know that you love me and you still want to use me. For your mercies and your grace are, are great. I surrender and I give myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys take a knee here. Let's all stand up to our feet. Let's open up these altars. I want to encourage you. Listen, come up. Let's talk to Jesus about this. Maybe you're here. You got to say, God, help me. Help me to be a better waterer. Help me to be a better planter, a better worker. Give me a heart to serve. God, I pray, increase my compassion, my love for people. These are all good prayers. We're being honest with God. Listen, when I got saved, if I could be honest with you, when I got saved, I didn't like people. I didn't like to deal with all the drama and all the relationships. And somewhere God needed to fix something in me. He needed to enlarge something in my heart. Have those conversations with God. God, help me. Help my heart. I see who you are. Help me to be more like you. Church, this is what we need. We need to be more like Jesus. More like Jesus every single day. Let's sing out this song. Hallelujah. Oh, we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord.
God this morning. Oh, speak to your Savior. Speak to your Father. of the church we're not looking at anybody else we're asking God God give me more love more love this is for us for our hearts Must go before the time runs out, says the Lord. 